number four. The theme this week is Shark Week, as you well know. We've covered a lot of things. And you guys are just so good, uh, I feel this week. They pull something out of the ocean sometimes, and it's, uh, this is a finished product. That thing's called a, uh, a sponge, yeah. Like they decorate that without the chops if they're not found in the ocean like that. But I feel like y'all might have come in on uh, Monday night like that, and you're leaving like this. I believe you're a little bit bigger and a little bit more full. But remember what you do, the best use you can get out of the sponge is to wring it out. So you guys got to go back and wring yourselves out and tell others what you learned this week. So they can camp. Okay, so what else that I want to review with you? This morning's message was about John. And then my pictorials, who's this guy? Jairus went to Jesus and said, please come out, my daughter. This is the this is the woman called daughter by the time she was through with Jesus. I'm going to review with you with pictures rather than words. Who's this guy? Ahab. This man, David, who feigned being crazy. This is Gimeonites who acted like they were friends instead of enemies. Who's this? King of kings, the bread of life, the living water. Let me go on. Here's the verse. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We become God's righteousness because Jesus took our sin, we get his righteousness. Not fair, but I'll certainly take it. It's called grace. All of what it is is grace. So you know your king's pretty good. Let's see if you can continue. Who in the world is this? Louis Zamperini. And if you can't tell by that picture, he's a little bit better. Uh, he was a torch tornado. This next picture shows him uh, captured by grace. He could not be broken by the Japanese guy called what? <laughs> the Jedi. Uh, person called Jesus broke him. This guy's Eddie who? Eddie Rickenbacker. He was trapped in a uh, in a life raft for how many days? Twenty. Twenty. How many was uh Louis Zamperini? Well he said the longest time anybody's ever stayed alive in a life raft. Captain Eddie Rickenbacker. Next. This is what his picture was with the sharks swimming around him. He stays alive and uh, what bird saved him? God will go to great lengths to save you. He'll send a seagull. He will send the sharks away. He will let a man not be broken by the Japanese or be broken by him later on the Billy Graham crusade of all things. Even though his wife, like, okay, please go one more time as he turns. We see God will go to great lengths to come and save people. And so Andy Rickenbacker couldn't forget that those seagulls had saved him, so he went to Peter every Friday. Because of the sacrifice for him. Keep going. A little bit of review here. We thank God. We talked about this on Monday night. We thank God so at least some of these spiritual deities in the sky and squashes with a big spiritual sledgehammer. That's not true. Instead, he wants to throw us a uh, spiritual life preserver and he wants to really protect us. I even told you a story that we get confused on how much God's trying to do for us. We, we don't want to let him into our lives just like this girl didn't want to let stranger into her car until she later realized the very person that she was scared to death of was really saving her. We're going to be amazed at that one day. Somebody's finally going to get saved and think, God, I thought you were some big spiritual thing just going to squash me. You're the person that's really trying to save me. He said, yeah, that's what I've been trying to get to you. And you just keep putting up all these block barricades so I can't get to you. I'm trying to save your life. I'm trying to save your soul. So we went back a little bit and thought that story. 
You say, well, what if God wants a sinner like me? He loves a sinner like me. Well, considering that he uh, died for you, and I love this. Jesus died for you, knowing that you might never love him back. Then changes love. It's not a condition. Love. You love me, I love you. No, I love you. Well, I'll spit in your face. That's what the Roman soldiers did. I'll pierce your side. Doesn't matter. I still love you. My love will never change. That's true sin. That's true love. So how much do you love me then, Jesus? And he stretches out his arms and dies for us. That's how much he loves us. Anything else? Well, we talked about this man named who? Abraham. When you make a deal with God, this is how serious it is. Oh, that was Abraham. Well, when you ask him to save you, that's feel like a deal. God, I give you my sins. You give me your grace, and I forgive Deal? I'm going to try to live for you the rest of my life. And when we don't, we're still not keeping up our end of the deal. Now, he doesn't unsave us. God does not have an eraser for the land's book of life. When he writes your name in it, oh, sin, raise status. He doesn't do that. Your name goes down, and it's saved. But when we ask him to save us and help us live for him, let's hold up our end of the deal. Picture it's serious business. It's like Abraham. You walk between two burning, uh, a torch pass between these pieces of, uh, there's half of an animal here, half of there, and Abraham will right through there. How many animals did he not go through? So the birds, there would be a couple at the end there. He made a covenant with God, Abraham says, I will serve you, that Abraham is a So we make a deal with him, so to speak. We make a contract, a covenant. Take it seriously. Some of the contracts you may have at your house, here they are. I'll take care of the dogs. I'll play my musical instruments for the band director. I'll mow the yard and I'll read my Bible. Some of y'all told God this week, I'll get back home and read my Bible. Don't you go down on that deal now. You start to read it. Don't you rescind that uh, promise. Just remember, the mood of camp will leave on Monday. But it's the same God and it's the same you. As long as y'all are still together, that's good. But it's not camp, I know. When Jesus came to earth, it wasn't heaven. But he still came when he had to do. And when he said it was finished here, mission accomplished. Don't keep going. Don't give up. Even if you have a mood change next week, keep faithful. And I told you this, the best evidence for being saved is this. Not an empty heart, an empty life, but this. Start doing works. Start reading the Bible better or praying or, or telling your friends or just having a better attitude. Just Somebody says, man, what did you do? You make you can't cut the ring up. God right the Lord. Okay, wow. And, and it's evident. So even though I look at you from the outside, some people will see you and they see a smiling face and all that stuff on the outside, but uh, once they, if they can look inside, will they really see the same thing that they see on the outside? Should. I know in 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, Man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. But I hope they'll sort of match. I hope my works back up what I look like outside. In other words, don't be a hypocrite. Don't pretend. My face is the real me. Okay? It's the true you. So the real you, the true you, is what I see right here. I hope so. Don't be pretending. Don't say. So, you know what, there's some things tonight that I haven't told anybody. But you know what, Holy Spirit, you can get that settled. So tonight's lesson. We begin last night's lesson. God said, uh, tell them this today. Encourage them. Because sometimes still might be a little, hell, I don't know, feel like a failure. Anybody ever feel like a failure? Yeah, all of our hands go up. We say, God, I promise you I'd be so good at camp. And the very next day I've already stumbled. And I'm going to give you a... Uh, a story about Simon Peter tonight. He was one of the hand-picked disciples. He wasn't just a disciple. He was one of the inner circle. Peter, James, and John. He was a top dog. He walked on the waters. 
He went down and got the fish and the coin out and wanted to pay the taxes. He says, let's go to transfiguration. He was one of the ones there. We got to see Jesus, Elijah, and Moses. So right here, right here in front of him. Peter is one of the key players. And then he stumbled very badly. He denied him to God. He even cursed when he did that. Now, if you can do that, when you stumble, I think there's something for us. Because so many people are going to be the day and time to say, tell them, I failed, but I got five best presentations. Get back to the next So let me ask you a question. That little boy sitting on the edge of the bench, every quarter of the day, and say, I would like to give it up. You say, some of us haven't even got home yet, not good right now. I don't know if there's anybody that can be more wrong with that. So we might feel disgusted if we didn't flat out just like God was confused. I think of uh, somebody that might feel a little bit more defeated. In the mid 1800s, around 1855 to about 1920, after a span of about 60 or 70 years, the people up in New York and up in the eastern part of our country, their dads couldn't find work. They couldn't really support the family, so they gave their kids up for adoption. And they told the kids to go down and some person, this businessman, had this idea and says, okay, we can take the kids here, we just probably come across America and hopefully we can put them in the families at one. Thank you, feel defeated, unworthy, undone, unwanted. I don't know that you can get any more than this and sell the box. So they packed these guys with the kids on the train and they would pull up in front of the station and talk about feeling self-worth. They would get them all out of the train station. They would come out on the platform, and parents would come back up. You can check the key like a horse. My soul is the air. I don't know. See if they can work on the farm for a little longer. It's wrong. I got to spend money on the key. What did he just do right there? He what? He rejected. He goes over looks at another one. I don't think I want to do that. Back on the door of the train. What if somebody got the big key? What if somebody got the big key? Where are you here? Thanks. The door of the train. I could be any worse than that. Well, one such person, Lee Daly, was eight years old. I don't know how close you are to eight years old, but he was a little boy and he was on one of these orphan trains from New York City. The orphan train was the idea of a gentleman in about 1860s. The idea was that they would just put these orphans on a train and send them across America. Hopefully they won't get rid of them. Well, maybe he's actually doing it out of Canada. Anyway, between those 70 years, about a quarter of a million orphans were placed in homes. So, so it happens like this. These kids were just brought out, stood on a train platform, and the train would roll in, you know, once the train got there, the kids get off, and those who weren't adopted would get back home, and the train would move in. And it's gone from the next town. But what about Lee Haley? He didn't get picked. Here's the rest of the story. As soon as his brothers got picked, he got picked over. His dad put him on the train and gave him an envelope and said, with this return address, he said, someday get in touch with me. He put some money in that envelope, and Lee went inside and about fell asleep, and the next thing you know, he woke up and the envelope was gone. No contact, no money, so Lee out from the envelope. When I was a little eight-year-old boy, by the way, I lived in Giles County. My brothers, Tim and Dennis, went to Virginia Tech, the Hokies, and uh, they were part of a group called the Navigators. And the Navigators packed up, and they said, we're going to go to camp in Colorado. I was a little boy in Giles County. 
not the temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power and glory, forever and ever. Amen. That family trace, you probably never heard the prayer before. And so, Lee says, I didn't know who this our father was that Andrew referred to. But I looked up across the table and father came up. I'm ready to go to the mama smiled at me. I felt upset and they reached over that put him on the head and said, uh, he says, like a firefighter, in a place called home. What happened to me after that? Here's what happened. He uh, was adopted, stayed adopted, grew up in that home where he had a wonderful life and gave his heart to Christ and became a patient man. And nobody wanted him. Now, we had learned something. It's called a learned reaction. Every time Lee heard something, when he was growing up, he heard a train whistle. What were you thinking? Orphan train. I'm miserable again. He probably had to relearn that, and then he thought, wait a minute, I no longer picture misery, rejection. Now I hear the orphan train, and I hear a train whistle, and thought, that's the train that my parents see, so we learned for you. So when he sat around that table, he had to relearn what he'd been taught by others. You're a failure. You're nothing. His dad sends him all care. Can't nobody. Everybody's just a family. He had to relearn all that. Say, no, I'm not a man. My heavenly father loves me. These people right here now call me their son. I love this. First John three says, First John chapter three, verse one and two. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given us that we can be called of what sons and daughters of God. Well, that's what you bring from somebody else. Ivan Pablo, he's a, a kind of person that years ago he was a scientist, and he's really a psycho psychologist, psychiatrist, and he would uh, he came up with this idea that said, I think if you hear something, you'll react to it. Uh, for example, if you just how many people have a bell at their school, ring bell like that? We don't have bells at seven; we have tones. Well, if I wasn't careful, if I heard a tone out in the middle of a mall, I'd probably think school. See, just us. So we have learned behaviors. Matter of fact, we had a missionary come to speak at a church years ago and they had propped open the door and put a folding chair underneath it and she had got up, sort of a frail woman, God bless y'all, and I'm just so... <laughs> like that, the folding chair fell and hit the concrete. She ducked and went under the pulpit. I mean, I thought, rapture for older women? They, she's gone. And then she comes up sheepishly like this and then explains it and it's sort of sad. She says, where am I a missionary? They shoot at you sometimes. And I thought that was a gunshot and her learned behavior. Pow! She gets out of there. She hides. And all it was was a folding chair. Of course, us in the audience go, that was strange. Not if you're her. So she had to relearn every time she hears a popping sound. It might not be a gun, but that's a learned behavior. Here's a learned behavior. Dad's driving along. Police car comes up behind. Learned behavior. Pulse rate increases. <laughs> Policeman pulls over. <laughs> Sweat's just running down your face. See, we just react that way. We, we're out there on the road to look up and see a policeman. It's suddenly like we drive different all of a sudden. We could have been going to speed limit, but it's a learned behavior. 
Matter of fact, if you ever get a ticket for speeding, the next time you come through that area, I'm going to slow down. i got a ticket. Learn behavior. Well, this man had a learned behavior for an experience. He had a dog. would show him food. Dog salivates. Like y'all at the dining hall. And then, second one, he rings a bell. Ding-a-ling-a-ling. Nothing. Dog says, I ain't going to eat that bell. What are you ringing it for? Because it's a dinner bell. But it doesn't make any difference. It's not dinner. And then he starts doing some experiments to where he puts the food out and rings the bell at the same time. Does that for one, two, about 23 days. And now he comes out there and goes, ding-a-ling-a-ling. Dog goes, starts slobbering. Why? I'm going to get fed. I just know I am. No, you're not. Walk on out. Mm, dog would probably get mad at you. It's like, ding-a-ling-a-ling food. Ding. Any of y'all have animals? Y'all train them like that at the house? Yeah. I pull in in the evening. I got five cats, two of them walk on a leash. Learn behavior. So I can walk next to the front door. I almost hate to. I can be checking the mail. I go over there. Here's a little cat. His nickname's Hokey. He comes up there. No, Hokey, we're not going to walk. I can pick up a leash right there. All I, I can, I can pick up the leash, and he's standing at the door. Learn behavior. I can go in in the bedroom and go like this and hit the bed. He jumps on it. Why? Because he's got to take medicine. He's asthmatic. So he jumps up and I take a little inhale and go, give him a shot of, thanks, I can breathe now. So I can pat the bed and he jumps up there. I give him that. As soon as he jumps down now, where's my treat? Learn behavior. The others would go, what are you doing? I've got another one. She wouldn't put a leash on her. If you did, I tried it one time. Don't ever do that again. You know, you put on, just, she wouldn't walk for anything. I felt like I had her flying around the house there for a while. It's like, hated the leash. Like, you know, take all four paws at the same time, trying walk around like this. Her reaction was, try to walk me again, I'll scratch your face off, okay? I'm just getting a deal. You learn a new behavior. I'm walking. But the other's walking a leash, and I'll just walk Tori. Tori walks out there, walks in the backyard. Matter of fact, I come always having fool. I'll just drop the leash every once in a while. He still thinks I'm back there. He'll stop every once in a while because the leash is on. Take a leash off and he'll take off running. Learn behavior. Here's your learn behavior. Police pull up. Red light's flashing. <gasps> Guy comes up. Just wanted to say hi. Oh. Is that all? Yeah, doing a great job driving. Just wanted to congratulate you. Don't do that to me. My heart almost stopped. Just wanted to say, happy motoring. Here's a can of pickles. Something like that. Here's a learned behavior. Peter preaching at Pentecost. What in the world was he preaching at Pentecost for? Well, I'll get to that just in a minute. Peter preaching at Pentecost. Find the Bible that you have in your hand there and turn to Luke chapter... Luke... Chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Find your gospel. Shh, shh. Let's look at something else. Um, Mariah, can you go to the next one or whatever like that? Luke chapter 22. What are we going to talk about? Let's read the story and I'll show you. Luke chapter 22. Starting with verse 54. Then seizing him, 
Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. By the way, those people who had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, they're not really disciples. I wouldn't call them the enemy, but they're sure not standing for Christ. So Peter just pulls up a stump there, so to speak, and sits down with him. Sits down with him and keeps warm by the fire. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight, and she looked closely at him. She probably walks by and goes, she looks closely at him, like, you look awful familiar. Well, he's been traveling three years with Jesus. What do you think? He's been out there in the limelight every once in a while. Matter of fact, Peter is almost like a very impulsive. Very impulsive. He's the one that walks on the water. He's the one that gets the gold coin out of the fish's mouth. He's the one that slices off the ear of Malchus. You could say, I need a volunteer. I'm here. Okay, Peter, I thank you. I'm glad you're the volunteer. You don't even know what you're doing yet. He's a volunteer. He's up front. He is, and yet look at him now. He's almost hiding. Not picking on him. Maybe you and I would be hiding. Since they've arrested Jesus and going to kill him, you think you want to be real close? He sits down. A servant girl saw him seated at the fairlight, and she looked closely at him and said, "This man was with him, but he denied." Woman, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, "You also are one of them." Man, I am not. Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. It's like your speech is giving you away. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word of the Lord and spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you'll disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Now, did he have any idea what that was maybe was going to happen? Well, sure. In Luke chapter 22, would you turn back to that? Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 40, 31 through 34. They're sitting around having the Last Supper, and wouldn't you know it that an impulsive person often likes to brag? He's first, he's there, I'll do it. Luke chapter 22, they're sitting around probably having a nice quiet dinner. By the way, I won't turn to the other portion of Scripture, but it says one disciple was almost like leaning on Jesus' shoulder. They're like best friends. That was John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Because when Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, they said, ask John who it is. John, John, John finally gets over here. Why? Ask Jesus. See, John was sort of like the one closest to him. And yet Peter's the one that says this. Chapter 22, verse 31. He's basically said, all y'all are going to just scatter and take off. And Simon Peter's not going to do it, he says. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Look at that. Jesus says, I've prayed for you. I think he prays for us. He lifts us up to the Father. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, Strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison, even to death. I'll die with you. I'm not going to ever say no to you. I will never reject. I will never deny God. I'll be with you to the grave, is basically what he's saying. 
And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. You'll deny three times that you know me. Here's the first thing. Jesus predicts the future. Now, I'm going to take Jesus' words and apply them to you. You be Simon Peter and some of you right now, and I'm not doing this to make you feel bad, but some of you right now are saying, I am on fire for God. Yeah, I'll never fail. You'll fail. Well, Edgar, thanks a lot. I'm just telling you the truth. Wouldn't you rather me tell you the truth? Yeah. Rather than say, you're going to be perfect, you'll never make another mistake. Because if I tell you that and you do, you're going to just fall apart. But instead, if I say, when you fail, if you're taking notes, it's 1 John chapter 2, 1 and 2. If you think of this, he says, John writes, brand new Christians. Some of you are brand new. John writes, my little children, I write these things unto you that you sin not. Verse 2. But when you sin, because you're going to, ask forgiveness and get right back in the game. So you mean we're going to stumble? You're going to stumble as long as you have flesh. As long as we're in this body, I'm going to mess up. Now, I hope I mess up less and less, but I'm going to be a sinner until I walk into heaven. That doesn't give me the right to sin, but I'm just saying as long as I understand that. Simon Peter says, I'm going to be perfect. And he says, no, you're not. Matter of fact, you're going to fail before the day's almost out. I just want to warn you. I'm going to predict the future. Jesus predicts it and says, Simon Peter, you're going to fail. Simon Peter says, no, I won't. You know what he's really doing right there? What's Jesus' nickname? I am the way, the what? You just call the truth a liar. Think about that for a second. You're going to fail. No, I won't. Okay. Next. That's what he says. Now, I want you to think right here. Please, pay attention. I'm going to stick something in your mind. Pablo, Ivan Pablo said this. Every time I ring a bell, what's a dog do? Salivate. I'm ready to eat. If you don't tell me this is a learned behavior, Simon Peter was walking out into the town and he comes down and I want, I'm not with you, I'm not with you, and just keeps denying him. I don't know him, I don't know him. On the third time he says, I don't know him, and in the background. I think a grown man suddenly was so brokenhearted. The Bible says he wept bitterly. That, this is a grown man can't get his breath. He's tore all to pieces. Tears just rolling down his face because he realized, I have failed. Jesus told me I would. I should have known. And it broke his heart that he broke Jesus' heart. Now, don't you know, I'm just I'm not adding anything to the Bible. I'm just being human because I think this is about what happened. They took Jesus in and the next day they crucified Jesus. Of course, Jesus was buried and rose again the third day and he appeared to the disciples and he continued to stay on the earth for another 50, you know, another 40 days. And then, what do you think Simon Peter... Now, he didn't come back to Jesus after he denied him so quickly. What do you think the next day when Simon Peter heard the rooster crow? Learn behavior. What's he think? Failure. He goes to bed that night and lays down on his... I hate mornings... And he sits there and just tosses and turns. Not that you ever done that, but I'm just saying. He tosses. I'm such a failure. <sighs> I told him I wouldn't fail. Gets up, lays back down, can't sleep. Finally, he dreads it, and here comes the morning. And <laughs> Starts off every morning with failure. Talk about a learned behavior. Is it that bad? Well... 
I think every day is go back to Luke chapter 22. I want to show you something. Luke chapter 22, verse 60. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Look at this next verse. Listen real quietly. Verse 61 of chapter 22. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Jesus, what's he doing, by the way, right now? He's pulling a cross. He's carrying a cross. He crumples into it. Blood spurting off of his face. The crown's right down into his forehead. He's got spit in his face. He's got blood just wrinkled down. When they used it and just about beat him to death, now he's, and he's going up a street, and when the rooster crows, he turns, and somehow the crowd finds Peter's face and looks straight at him. Oh my, that would just break my heart. He looks straight at him. And as he looks straight at him, he says, you're a failure. You think he said that to him? No, he didn't. He looked straight at him. I used to think that a little bit. I, th- I used to think he looked straight at him, eyeball to eyeball, and says, you're a failure. You've, you've let me down. The Son of Man didn't do that. He looked and he said this. Mark Batterson preached a message on this, and I remember him saying it, and I tend to agree with Mark. He said, I grew up thinking that maybe he looked at him and stared him down and said, you're a failure. Or maybe you've messed up. Or yeah, one more time. I told you so. I knew you'd let me down. Mark says, you know, I used to think, I don't think that at all. I'm inclined to think with Mark Batterson. I think he looked at him that night and said, he's carrying a cross, blood splattered, and yet he looks up right in his face and goes, I love you. That makes it worse. Jesus, I've let you down. I love you anyway. How can you love me when I did this? He looks him straight in the face and lets him know he still accepts him. Peter can't deal with that probably. By the way, one disciple couldn't deal with his failures. What did he go and do? He hung himself and committed suicide. Satan yells at that. Yeah, Judas Iscariot hung himself. Good. Got one of them. He hopes the rest of them will do that. He hopes the rest of them will become so defeated that this church movement will die before it ever gets started. But I don't think Jesus looked him straight in the face and said, you fail. I think instead he looked and said... I feel like I got competition right there, but y'all guys good? Good. We're just talking about Jesus, so hang in there. He looked straight at him and said, I love you. Simon Peter continues to hear that rooster crow every day. Every day. Maybe it's failure. Prediction comes true. It just breaks his heart. He weeps bitterly. Rooster back here, it's early in the morning. What a morning that was. Prediction comes true. Look at John chapter 21. I don't know, some Bible scholars would disagree with me. Um, I've read several commentaries on this, and some of them actually say, I don't know, maybe he just decided to do this for the day. I'm inclined to think he did this for good. Next week you're going to go home and you're going to have made a decision here at camp. And if you stumble and feel like you're a failure, you may just think, why don't I just go back to the old lifestyle? What's the use in trying? Well, you won't be alone. John chapter 21 says this. Simon Peter, his 
Verse 1, his lifestyle. Check this, John chapter 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter. I want you to hold up a finger when I say a name. Watch this. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. How many you got? How many disciples are there? Not now. There's 11 disciples. Seven of them are right here with Peter. He's still a leader. He's just now taking 11. Seven out of the 11 disciples with him fishing. Now, I'm not saying he's going back to the old lifestyle, but guess what? Maybe he's just standing around one day. That rooster crowing's about to drive me crazy. Every time he crows, failure, failure, failure. Every day I start off with failure. I'm going to go fishing. I'm just going to go do something I can at least do. At least I'll taste success again. At least I won't mess up fishing. I messed up being a preacher. I messed up being a disciple. I've denied Jesus. Let me go back. At least I can fish. Really? Jesus got such a good sense of humor. You're a professional fisherman. Is that right? Jesus didn't ask him that, of course. So he goes and gets his friends and they go fishing. And they fish all night. Maybe he stayed out there all night so he wouldn't hear the rooster crow one more time. Maybe he thinks I'm far enough from town to not have that. See, we carry baggage like that. If we fail once, we just keep remembering it. Baggage. It's like just putting a suitcase on us and walking around with it. I failed. I failed. I messed up. I failed. And occasionally you'll have a teacher or a coach or a parent even imply that. Man, how sad that is. Like Lee Nailing. What do you think Lee Nailing thought? Checked him out, put him back on the orphan train. You're a failure. Probably carried that around with him for a while. He did not believe anybody could ever love him until he finally got some parents that did. Simon Peter's going fishing. He takes seven out of the eleven with him. I'm going to fish, Simon Peter told him, and they said, we'll go with you. Just take the whole disciple. These are the disciples of the early church. This is the pillars of the church. He's almost, and Satan's just, yes, if I can get him to go back to fishing and forget this whole thing, we'll never have Christianity. We won't have a revival. We won't have a Pentecost. We won't have the church movement, and it'll die before it ever gets started. And Jesus shuts Satan up and thinks, I'm going to step in right here. They go fishing. Simon Peter told them, we'll go with you. So they went out and got in the boat, but they, that night, these professional fishermen that make a living catching fish caught nothing all night. That would make me really feel like I'm a failure. Early in the morning, early in the morning, what's he about to hear maybe? Rooster crow again. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. I don't know, maybe they weren't even looking for him. And they've been out there fishing and all at once, son Peter, can't get away from that. And all at once a man on the shore, who is that? I don't know, I can't tell from here. He's waving at us. Throw your net on the right side. What? And the... Stranger says, throw your net on the right side. They're so desperate, they're willing to try it. I would have probably said, I'm a professional fisherman. You don't need to tell me what to do. Well, obviously, you do. Notice Jesus did not say, how many what fish have you caught? He did not do that. He didn't point out failures. He just says, uh, he didn't say, how many have you caught? Well, let's read this. He does say, friends. And he did say, have you any fish? 
Phrased it now. Have you caught anything? Didn't do that to him. That was biting. He called out to them friends, have you any fish? Yeah. No. I wonder how politely they were by. Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. <sighs> sure, yeah, like we're going to find some. And when they did, they threw the net on the right side and like, yeah, we're... And all of them looked at each other. And Simon Peter knew exactly what was going on. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. 153 of them. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, says, he was sitting there pulling the net and all at once with a miracle, he goes, it's Jesus. He turns to Simon Peter. Simon, whoosh, what was that? Simon Peter's in the water swimming to shore. All John said, it's Jesus. And Simon Peter's out there doing a breaststroke going after him. Okay, i got about three speculations right here. Why do you think he's going to shore? Could be just to see Jesus. What else is he going to shore for? What do you think? Could be asked for forgiveness. Uh, well, he's swimming towards him. So I don't know if he's going to just see Jesus, just say hi with ask for I don't know. But he's going there. He could have jumped out of the... Jesus, can we not talk about this denial thing? I have been dealing with that for a week. Even they rub it in in my face every once in a while. Can we just quit talking about my failures because I just pick up that baggage of being a failure, being a failure. And Jesus says, you're not a failure. We'll talk about it later though, okay? Here's the rest of the disciples. And the disciples, Peter returns to the old life. He tries to catch a few fish and... Here's what happens. He fails without Jesus. He catches no fish. Next, consider this. A friend. Friends, have you any fish? He didn't say, did you catch anything? No. Have you any fish? No. Cast your net on the right side and see what happens. And they catch fish and they realize it's Jesus and they swim ashore, and here's what awaits them. You ever been in a campfire before? <laughs> yeah, you been outside. If it's really cold, it works better. If it's really cold and somebody's got a fire going, this is the early morning, a little chilly. These disciples get on shore, and this is what awaits them. We've got the Son of God sitting around a campfire with fish, and he says, bring the fish you've got. We'll cook some of yours. But he's got a meal waiting for him. I don't know. What would that look like? Peter gives, Jesus gives Peter a second chance. They pull up and sit around the campfire. And Jesus asks Simon Peter, we've got to eat. Everybody's situated. And then he looks at Peter. When's the last time he looked at Peter? Really intently. When he was carrying the cross. He looks at him and goes... He's looking at him intently now. Simon Peter, do you love me? Well, Lord, you know I do. Let me ask you again, do you, do you love me? Lord. Simon Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I do. Well, why do you keep asking? What did Abraham do? They cut the animals in two so they take it what? Pass through and make a what? He's about to make a covenant, so to speak. He's about to make a deal. He's about to make a commitment. He looks at Simon Peter, and in my own words, he says, Simon Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I do. That's three times. I'm asking you for a commitment. I'm going to use you to be one of the major players of the new church. God, I, I, can't, I can't do that. 
And why not? Well, a lot of people are saying I'm a failure. I say you're a success. Why are you listening to other people? Well, you mean I'm... I can use you. I can use you mightily. Rooster crows. Simon Peter says, no, wait a minute. You told me I'm something special and you can use me and I'm somebody and a rooster crows. You know what? From now on, I've got a relearned experience. Now, every time he gets up in the morning, rooster crows, you know what he's thinking of? That's the morning that God called me to serve him. That was my second chance in life. Before I shake hands, what about John right over here? That's what the Bible says. What about John? Jesus says, I'm not talking about John. Y'all do that sometimes too. If God speaks to you and says, well, you know what? Lord, you're just really touching my heart. I wish you'd say my brother because he's really mean and ugly. And Jesus says, I'm not talking about your brother who is mean and ugly. But I, No, he did He said, I'm talking to you. Let's get you. And Simon Peter says, what about John? Wait, what about him? I'm talking to you right now. Jesus is talking to you right now. And Simon Peter can't escape his gaze this time. And he looks straight at him and he says, how about it? Are you going to be something special for me or not? Because I want you to be. You ready to give up this fishing and I'll make you a fisher of men. And Satan is just probably getting on him right now. Don't shake it. Don't shake it. Don't. Yes, sir. <sighs> Demons in hell. <sighs> lost a big one that time. They lost a big fish. Simon Peter shakes Jesus' hand and says, Okay. Thanks for forgiveness. I'll start this again. And I'm going to try my best not to let you down. And about 40 verses later in the middle of Acts, in the second chapter of Acts, he stands up and preaches a message and 3,000 souls are saved. You think he's come back? Yeah, I believe Peter's back. Finish this out with me right here. Jesus is standing around the shoreline. All these disciples pull all the fish that they've caught, 153 of them, Peter's busy talking to Jesus. He says, Peter, why don't you help? I'm oh, yeah, right. I'll pull all the fish. And then they take some of those fish and they set around the fire. Wouldn't that be so cool sitting around the fire with Jesus? I wonder who prayed for the eight. I, you know, I don't know. Anybody want to pray? Jesus, I'll get it. <laughs> God, my Father, these are guys that are going to change the world. Not all of them are here. I've got seven out of the eleven. Caught, them, caught pretty much of them. And I'm trying to get a commitment out of all of them, and especially this guy calls Peter because he is so down on himself right now. He's got so much baggage he needs to get rid of. But I forgive him of that, and I take those burdens off. Would you bless him? Simon Peter's going, and would you bless his food? In my name, amen. That's what he's probably said. And they get to enjoy a meal. And this guy named Simon Peter... He's on fire now for God. Some things to remember about this. God's picked you to be in His family. Whether you're Simon Peter who feels like a failure or whether you're little old Lee Nailing who had no family. God's picked you to be in His family. He'll pick you up when you stumble and you fall down. That's a tender Savior right there. He forgives a mean, tough old fisherman called Peter. and He says, I forgive you. And that mean old fisherman wept like a baby when he let Jesus down. Some of y'all say, you know what? All right, Edgar, all that's well and good. You're telling us that God is a God of second chances, but you just don't know how much I've got on me. I don't know that at all, but I do know how much you need to let go. And that's everything that's on you. 
But that's sort of radical, isn't it? Just to give away everything and get these burdens off. It is radical. Matter of fact, I think it's radical. You need to realize that we can't do anything about our salvation. We need to admit that we're sinners. We need to desire a closer walk with Jesus. We need to invite Him into our hearts, invite Him to take over our life, that we just keep trying to run ourselves, commit ourselves totally unequivocally to Him. We need to ask Him to live in us strongly, and that's a radical move. You say, but it's hard to let go of these things. Let me show you how hard it is. I got a video to show you, a quick video clip. Watch this video clip and see if you see yourself in this video clip. You're going to find that it's hard to let go some things, and these guys will show you how hard it is, but I think it can be done. Would you pray with me, please? Dear Lord Jesus, in the quietness of this moment, uh, you've got some people's attention. It's just like when you looked at Simon Peter straight into his face. And I believe you really smiled at him and said, I love you and I forgive you. Even while you were carrying a cross, you thought of others. But he probably went so long carrying that baggage around. I'm a failure. Lord, sometimes we feel unwanted, like little Lee Nailing, an eight-year-old boy that nobody wanted to adopt. Sometimes we are like Simon Peter, a giant of the faith, but he wasn't like that always. He messed up, and he really felt bad. And Lord, some of us are like those two people. We feel like little Lee Nailing and feel like nobody wants us. We're just a mess up. And then we'll even step out and say, all right, God, I'm going to do something for you. And we might even be so bold to be like Simon Peter. I'll go with you to death. I'll do anything. I'm there. And we turn around 24 hours later, one hour later, 10 minutes later, fall flat on our face and say, I knew I couldn't do it. And Jesus, you pick us up and we can carry around our own baggage or we can put it on you. You've told us to cast all our care on you for you care for us. So Jesus, I pray that people would start letting loose of the baggage. And we need to do that right now, this moment. We need to surrender things to you. And really the first step in knowing you as Savior or as Lord, if we've slipped away from you, is in letting go. We need to let go of trying to care or carry all those things, those sins, those burdens ourselves. We can't do that. So the first step in understanding your love is to let go. Be totally free from sin, totally free from burdens and baggage. Let go and let you take over. And that's hard for us to do. But Jesus, I pray that somebody would do it even right now, this moment, this second, to say, Jesus, okay, you've convinced me. I'm going to ask you to forgive me of all my sins and cleanse my heart and take all this stuff off of me. And it's not fair to dump it on you, but that's what you want, so that's what I'm going to do. And no matter what anybody else says, I'm a member of God's family because you said that I can be a member of your family. What great love you showed to us that we can be called your children. And I thank you, Jesus, that you give us that opportunity to respond to you even right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to play an invitation song. And if you want to respond, that's great. If you don't, would you just be real quiet and don't distract anybody around you? I want to be used by Jesus to draw you to Him.
I don't want to use by, be used by Satan to distract you. 